you have your Bibles with you, we are looking at 1 Peter chapter 5. We're just going to be looking at verses 6 and 7 this morning. It can be found on page 9 of your worship guides as well. We are coming to the end of our series in 1 Peter, uh, which, which makes me sad in, in a lot of ways. Uh, honestly, Peter has just been so encouraging, uh, but and also convicting as we've been going through this series. It, it's been uh, astounding how many times uh, his word, as we found ourselves in it, has pointed directly to just life and what we're going through um, that week, and uh, I think that is the case here as well for me. But as Peter is bringing his letter to a close, he's, he's reminding us of some of the, the key themes uh, that have been throughout this letter. And, and one of the themes that runs throughout this letter is that we who are called are exiles. And as exiles, we are to expect suffering and, vari- and trials of various kinds. But as he has laid out what life and exile looks like, he instructs us that we are to have a posture of humility. As exiles, we are to have a posture of of humility. And Peter reminds us of this one last time, this call to humility, as he is summarizing this letter at the end. So let us read first, first Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. He writes this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Please join me in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would use your word this morning to comfort us where we need to be comforted and to convict us where we need to be convicted. I pray that you would use your word to transform our hearts and help us to fall more and more in love with you. In your name we pray, amen. So what does a toddler do when he or she doesn't get what they want when they want it? Whether you're a parent or not, you probably know the answer and you've probably seen it happen. They throw a fit. They have what we call a temper tantrum. Our youngest son, Samuel, is an expert at the temper tantrum. He screams with everything he's got. And he lays on the floor and flails his arms and legs in every possible direction. The thing is, when babies are born, they rely on their parents for everything. They are completely helpless without their parents. That's just how it is. And they seem to be cool with it for the most part. 
But as they get older and, and they get mobile, they start to get a taste of freedom. And, and by this freedom, I mean what, what, how Paul actually defined it last week when he said that most often we conceive of freedom as the ability to do what we want when we want to do it. And, and the more that, that children get to experience this freedom, the, the more that they realize they really like it. So when you try to take it away from them in any way, cue the temper tantrum. But the reality is, it's, it's not like it's just toddlers who do this. If you think that, you've never met a teenager. But really, it, the, the, honestly, the, the same tendency that that makes toddlers and teenagers throw temper tantrums is in all of our hearts. We all throw temper tantrums. We may just express it differently. The reality is it's this, this same sinful tendency is front and center in all of our rebellion against God. We want the freedom to be able to do what we want when we want it. It's that same sinful tendency, that sinful desire to be the ones in control. We want to be the ones in control. We want to be in the driver's seat. That's what Peter's addressing here. And that's what makes what Peter says here so hard. Because it's so deep down inside of us to want this control. And Peter starts in verse 6, saying, humble yourselves. What he is calling us to do is to submit ourselves to the authority of another. While he spoke in verses 1 through 5 about submitting to the authority of the leaders, and the elders in the church, and to one another, here he is instructing us to submit ourselves to the authority of God. This requires us to hand over the reins of our lives to relinquish the control that we so strongly grasp hold of. We hand, he's calling us to hand that over to God and allow Him to lead us. And even though this is what true freedom looks like, our sinful nature bucks against it at every turn. And just like a toddler, so often we throw a fit. And we insist on our own way. But thankfully, Peter here, he doesn't just tell us that we must humble ourselves and then leave it at that. He, he goes on to show us what we are to humble ourselves under. And he shows us why we humble ourselves, and then he shows us how we humble ourselves. First, let us look at what we are to humble ourselves under. In verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. 
Again, in verse 5, we see Peter instructing us to be humble toward one another. Yet here, in verse 6, he turns our attention to our humility before God. We are to humble ourselves under God. And specifically, under his mighty hand. Peter uses this expression of God's mighty hand and it takes us back to how he rescued his people out of Egypt. As Deuteronomy 5.15 says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And, and right after Peter tells us to humble ourselves, he says, therefore. We always have to ask that question, what is the therefore, therefore? And here it points us back to what he said at the end of verse 5, when he said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What better picture of this reality than the outpouring of God's power and his wrath upon Egypt because of the proud and hard heart of Pharaoh. As God unleashed plague after plague on Egypt in order to set his people free from slavery. And it was also with a mighty hand that we saw that God brought his people back from exile as Buck read in Ezekiel 20. You see, God uses his mighty hand to accomplish deliverance and restoration for his people if they humble themselves and rely on him to do the work. Peter uses this expression to remind his readers of how great God's power is. He's reminding his reader, readers that God is the one who's truly under control of everything. That he is sovereign. Why is it so important for, for his readers? Why is Peter reminding us of his sovereignty? Why is it so important to remember that? Again, I think, I think it's important here to remember who Peter is writing to. Peter opens up his letter in, in chapter 1, verse 1. He addresses his letter to exile, ex, elect exiles in the dispersion. He is writing to people who are experiencing persecution and various trials due to their faith. Things around them are not turning out the way they want or that they hope for. But this serves as a reminder that God is not surprised or, or unaware of what's going on around them. He is still ruling and reigning over all things. His hand is still mighty. And it's just as true for us today as it was for them. 
It is so important for us to remember this, especially in a year like we've had, where everything around us seems to be spinning out of control. God is not surprised by the coronavirus. He's not aware of the, unaware of, of the political division and racial unrest in America. He is sovereign over it. And, and I don't know about you, but, but all of these things that have been going on have been causing me to feel my lack of control. And I have to confess, I've, I've, I've really been struggling with both anger and fear. But Peter is calling us to humble ourselves under the one who is con- in control of it all. But Peter doesn't only tell us what we are to humble ourselves under. He then tells us why we are to humble ourselves. In the second part of verse 6, he writes that we are, that at the, so that, he says, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. That's why we are to humble ourselves, so that he will exalt us. He is telling us that humility is not the goal. Rather, it is the path through which we receive God's glory. And it is the same path that Jesus himself followed as we saw in our call to confession and our assurance from Philippians chapter 2. If we look back, you can use your worship guide to look back at what he, what he said there. First, he points to the fact that have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In this, Jesus gives us a model for what it looks like to humble ourselves. He looked not to his own interest, but, to, but out of love for us and to God, the Father, he was obedient to the point of death. Not just obedient in small things. He was obedient to the point of death. But the story doesn't end there. Because as we know, Jesus did not remain dead. Paul continues by saying, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus humbled himself. And God exalted Jesus. Jesus was taken into glory to be with his Father, and he is exalted above all things. Peter is reminding us here that our humbling of ourselves follows the same pattern as Jesus. Our humility and whatever suffering we experience is but for a moment. 
Then at the proper time, when Jesus returns to bring us into glory with him and the Father, we too we will be exalted. Not of our own doing, but God will exalt us. In this sin-filled world, we, we find ourselves in a place of exiles. Or in a place of exile, we are aliens here longing for something better, waiting for the day when Jesus will return and restore all things to himself. But it's just a moment. This makes me think of how Jesus comforted his disciples in John 16. He was trying to prepare them for what was coming and his death and resurrection and he starts in verse 16. He says, a little, in a little while, a little while, and you will see me no longer. He's getting them ready for his death and resurrection. Then in verse 20, he warns them saying, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. This world we live in is not our own. But he doesn't leave them without hope, for he continues and he says, You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Then he gives them the illustration of a woman who is giving birth. While she is in labor, she experiences great pain and anguish. Yet when the baby is born, she no longer remembers it. All the pain Weeping, lament, and anguish, anguish is swallowed up and remembered no more. It is replaced by great joy that a human being has been born into the world. What Peter says here should bring us both great comfort and great conviction. I think it's comforting to know that the various trials we experience here are just a blip on the radar screen in comparison to the eternal, eternity of joy that will be ours in Christ when he returns. It brings us great comfort that all the pain will be placed by a joy that is so great that we won't even remember the pain anymore. And that, that same joy that was set before Jesus that enabled him to endure the humiliation of the cross is set before us as we are living in exile in a sin-torn world. We have something we are looking forward to and longing for. This should help us to not throw a fit when we don't get what we want when we want it. It enables us to give God the reins of our life when we see that he is leading us to glory. When we see what he is leading us to, we can follow him. But it should also bring great conviction. It brings us great conviction when we realize how little we are 
willing to actually follow the path of humiliation. We are so impatient. We want to experience our flourishing here and now. We want God to bring us health, wealth, and prosperity, and we want it now. And anything that goes against our pursuit of those things seems unfair to us. But Peter reminds us that this pursuit of those things is not what leads us into true flourishing. But following Jesus does. And Jesus did not exalt himself. He made himself low. He gave up more than we can even imagine. We are asked to give up so little in comparison with what Jesus gave up for us. Jesus laid aside perfect love, joy, and peace with the Father and the Spirit to take on flesh and to submit himself to the law and to come and live on earth which was full of sin and brokenness. Yet we struggle to give him almost anything. We struggle to give him a portion of our paycheck. We, we, we struggle to give him time in our lives. It, it is, it, it's a struggle to lay aside time just to, to spend time with him. And, and the idea of dedicating one in seven days to him seems way too much to ask. And, and not only did Jesus give up that, that perfect love, peace, and joy with the Father and the Spirit, he also endured great pain and grief. He was rejected and hated. He was beaten and spat on, stripped naked, and hung on a cross. And it was on that cross that he took the worst of all the pain. He took the wrath of God for all our sins. God poured it out on him. Yet, I'm so afraid to press into hard conversations or, or, or to bring the good news of the gospel to those who don't know him out of fear that they will reject me. These things are not equal. And to be honest, I'm afraid to really give God the reins because I know that he may lead me into places of deep pain and suffering. So it's such a struggle for me to, to release the reins. I hold on to them so tightly because it seems safer and easier. But I'm so thankful for this reminder that no matter what trials and suffering Christ leads us through, the narrow path that he leads us through ends in glory. Makes it worth it. But Peter not only tells us what we humble ourselves under and why we humble ourselves. He continues by telling us that 
how we humble ourselves. In verse 7, he writes, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Peter is not giving a second imperative here. He's not giving us something else to do. Rather, it's a continuation of the first imperative. The imperative is to to humble ourselves and and casting our cares on him, our anxieties on him, tells us how we are to do it. Humbling ourselves is done through admitting that we are not strong enough to fix whatever situation we find ourselves in that is causing our anxiety. And then taking that anxiety and handing it over to God. We humble ourselves when we admit that we need help. And it's not easy because it requires to acknowledge, it requires us to acknowledge our weakness. And it opens us up to vulnerability. But we are helpless without God. And this requires us, this humility requires us to let go the reins of our lives and let God take control. But Peter tells us that God is not only able to help us because he is sovereign over all things, as we already talked about, but he also tells us here that he is willing and he reminds us of his great care for us. He reminds us of This reminds me of what David wrote in in Psalm 34 when he said that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. This does not mean that if we cast our anxieties on God, he will just take them away or fix it. But it does mean that he has not departed from us. He is near and ready to embrace us and comfort us in the midst of our pain. I know that 2020 has been a hard year for so many of us. And the reality is it's not over yet. The next few months may get even harder for many of us. Certainly the holidays won't look the same as we're used to. This has been a particularly hard year for my family. Uh, we, we went through two miscarriages this year. Um, and, and going through that has been hard, and I, I feel like I've lived out what Peter says here, um, that it's so important for, for Christians who are no doubt going to experience hard times in the midst of their exile. There are two things as, as I've gone through this that really comforted me the most during this time. The first was actually a, a book that I read it's called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament by Mark uh, Rogob, if that's how you pronounce his name. Um, highly recommend this book to anyone going through great difficulty or grief. Or even if you're not. 
It, it instructs us and, and it, it teaches you what to do, how to do what Peter is talking about here. How to run to God when we experience great pain. How to express our pain to him. And how to ask him for help. It teaches you how to lament as a means through which we can cast our anxieties on God. And the second thing that has brought me great comfort was actually something that Paul said that has really stuck with me. And I can't remember the exact words uh, of what he said, but he basically reminded me that Jesus was weeping over the death of my sons too. The same kind of way that he wept over the death of his friend Lazarus. His grief, he grieves when his loved ones experience great pain. He grieves when the effects of sin on the world bring us sadness. And he cares. He's not aloof. He's not separated from us. He cares. He cares so much that he died to bring sin and death to an end. To defeat it. That brought me great comfort because it reminded me of his great care for me. You know, one author writes that affliction either drives us into the arms of God or severs us from God. I think that this is so true and that the difference between the two responses is humility. We can refuse his help, rely on our own strength, pull up our boots, ourselves up by our bootstraps and keep trudging on. Often this involves finding some way to numb the pain, running to something to distract ourselves, something to, to give us a quick shot of pleasure so that even if it's only for a moment, we can feel something other than sadness. That's what it looks like to rely on ourselves. It's a path of destruction. But this will lead to anger and resentment and will sever us from God. Or we can humble ourselves and run to him for help. Casting our anxieties on him because we are not strong enough to carry them ourselves. We think that the ability to do what we want, when we want, if we make the right choices, will bring us flourishing. But that is too big a burden to put on our shoulders. And that's what causes so much of our anxiety. But when affliction drives us into the arms of God, we feel his love so deeply and personally that we can't help but to praise him. Even though we may still be hurting, we experience his goodness and his love. I'll end with this. You know, out of all the people in the Bible, Peter may be the person who I would least expect to write so much about humility. He doesn't come across as very humble in the gospel accounts. 
Three times we see him refuse to accept something that Jesus tells him. First, when Jesus begins to warn the disciples that soon he would be killed but raised on the third day, Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. He tells him, this shall never happen to him. Stop talking like that, Jesus. Then when when Jesus goes to wash the disciples' feet, Peter tells him, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. Then when Jesus says, if I don't wash you, then you will have no share with me, he's like, well, in that case, wash all of me. And lastly, just before his arrest, Jesus tells the disciples that they will all fall away. And Peter is like, the rest of these guys, they might fall away, but not me. No way, no how. I'm prepared to die for you. And Jesus responds by telling him, actually, you're going to deny me three times tonight. Again, Peter doesn't exactly provide us with a shining example of what humility looks like in the Gospels. But then I realized how much this actually makes him the perfect person to call us to humility. Because we see that he knows how hard it is. He knows what it's like to fail. But just as he knows what it's like to fail, he also knows what it's like to be gently led back into the love and care of Jesus. For after Peter denies Jesus, Jesus meets him on the beach and reminds him, follow me. Peter is simply repeating that instruction he received from Jesus to tell us. He is telling us, follow Jesus. It's it's almost like Peter is saying, learn from my example of failure. Don't do what I did. Do this instead. Learn from my mistakes. Follow Jesus. Allow him to take the lead. Give over the reins of your life to him who is sovereign because he will lead you to true flourishing where you will be exalted with him. Allow him to care for you by casting your anxieties on him. Please join me in prayer. Lord, this call to humble ourselves is so hard. We need your help. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of your sovereignty, remind us of, that you are the one in control. Help us to relinquish the control of our own lives over to you. I pray that you would remind us over and over again that the humility you call us to is but for a season and it ends in glory. Lord, and lastly, I pray that you would help us to fall into your arms. You would help us 
to stop carrying around the burdens of our anxieties on our own shoulders and to hand them over to you and allow you to care for us. I pray all this in your name. Amen.